Hey, welcome to episode 68 of Inbound Agency Journey. This is the last episode of season five, and man, what a season it has been. We've had some great folks on here sharing some awesome insight, and let me tell you what, we don't finish slow. Lax Coach always told me, sprint to the end line, and today we bring on... David Baker. David is the CEO of Recourses.com. He's an agency consultant, and over the years, he's worked with agencies all around the world. And over the last couple of years, he's worked with 39 HubSpot partner agencies. And so David brings an awesome perspective to our community. He brings a perspective of a deep knowledge of the agency space and what makes a great agency. And he also has a great understanding of the inner workings of HubSpot partner agencies and inbound agencies in general. And he's noticed some incredible things. And he shares that blunt insight here today. I think it's going to be a refreshing dose for our community here as we seek to build agencies that help us reach our goals. Uh, One of the biggest takeaways I had from this episode was David said that inbound agency owners have a tendency to think on a train track and we really need to own our agencies. So keep that in mind as you listen to this. David is a prolific speaker and writer. Head over to his website, recourses.com. Check out his books over there. I think he's written a total of six books, but the two you want to check out are Managing Right and Financial Management of a Marketing Firm. He mentions both of those in this interview, and there's awesome stuff over there on that site, so go over there and binge on some of that education. But before you do that, listen to this episode, and without further ado, folks, here we go. Welcome to Inbound Agency Journey. This is the show where inbound agency leaders share the strategies, shortcomings, and successes they've experienced in their journey toward building their dream agency. Now, here are your hosts, Andrew and Gray. Hey, David. Welcome to Inbound Agency Journey. We're excited to have you here today. Thank you, Andrew. It's great to be here. First thing on a Monday. Oh, yes. Um, Well, do you want to kick us off and just kind of introduce yourself to those listening and share a little bit about your background? Sure. So I um, went to grad school, studied stuff that was completely unrelated to what I do now, which is true for most people, then owned an agency for six years and through a really strange set of circumstances started to advise other agencies. That was 22 and a half years ago. So since then, I work around the world helping agencies with the business side of what they do, not so much the craft itself because there's lots of good help for that. So I help them make better business decisions around positioning, lead generation, staffing, processes, financial performance, that sort of thing. Uh, based out of Nashville, do this worldwide and um, really having a great time still. That is fantastic. Well, we when we started chatting earlier, um, I just got really excited about kind of the, the perspective and the, the approach that you bring to the agency space. And I'm just really excited to tap into some of that insight and share it here with uh, this community. Um, before we jump into it, would you mind just telling us, as an entrepreneur, I'm always fascinated by how businesses get started. So wh- while you were running your agency, what were some of those events that kind of led you to start the consulting side of things and then eventually just pursue that exclusively? Yeah, that's such an interesting question. I, I was thinking about that last week because of sort of the inauspicious beginnings of so many firms and and how that charts out. So I was I subscribed to a publication called Creative Business, and it actually still exists. It's in Boston. And part of the deal was that you got to ask the editor, whose name was Cam Foote, with an E at the end, Cam Foote, 
you got to ask him questions, anything you wanted. And I think that was his way of staying in touch with the marketplace and so on, because he didn't charge you for that. So we talked, and then he asked me to help him deliver a few of his seminars, but I was just the voice. I didn't have any expertise in the material that he developed. And so he would get the fun cities, and I would get Des Moines and, you know, <laughs> St. Louis. And and um, and then one day he asked if I would write an article on the financial performance side of agencies because he didn't enjoy that aspect of the topics he was covering. And I did. And then, you know, we sort of we were friends and I was a subscriber and so on. And then one day I called him up and I said, Cam, why don't you do consulting for these agencies? Because I think they I think you have a lot of value you could add to them. And he told me why he didn't want to do it for two reasons he gave me. But then before I could even think about it, he said, but why don't you do it? And I was running it was it was not a remarkable agency. It was a pretty unremarkable one, and it just struck me as kind of odd that I would even be helping other agency owners. But before I could even think too much about it, he said, I'll put an ad in the publication. You just give me 10% of what you make, and we'll see what happens. And so he did. I'm still running the agency, about 15, 16 people. I'd been into it six years, and agencies started to call. And at the beginning, of course, there wasn't a lot of expertise. There was a lot of bumbling. But I learned very quickly by seeing the in the, the inside of so many agencies around the world. And and within like six or seven months, it just took over my business life. Wow. And so I've been doing it since then. So it was a pretty weird beginning. Wow. And when it launched, were there any – uh, similarities in the agencies that you were working with, any markets or anything like that, or was it kind of all over the place? Well, the, my agency and where we lived was Northern Indiana, and um, you know, of course, there weren't any digital firms at that point. That was in '94. Uh, but what was typical then was is still very typical now, and that's that when you look around you at your competition, and and then you think about the firms that are no longer there. It has virtually nothing to do with how creative they were or um, all the other things that we tend to concentrate on. Really, it comes down to whether they were making good business decisions. And as an agency owner, I was I had that sort of entrepreneurial loneliness that I think most of them do because you just have this sense like, surely am I like it, am I being singled out with all of these difficulties, these challenges, or do other agency owners face the same thing? And I think that's probably why people listen to your podcast in a way, because they really want to know what other people have figured out. And and I think that sort of sense of, wow, I, this entrepreneurial loneliness, I need to figure out if other people have figured it out first. And so that's what is still true now, I think. Yeah. Wow. That's really profound. And you know, we hear that from folks who do listen to podcasts that just like, being able to tap in and hear someone else is kind of walking a similar journey to them. You know, if they're having a down day or a down week or they lose a client or something like that to just hear a success from someone else kind of gives them a motivation to keep moving forward. And that's really, it's really nice that there's a community out there to support each other like that. Yes, for sure. Awesome. So as you were going and the business continues to grow, um, eventually, I mean, you've worked with a, a good number of HubSpot partners to this point. How did that transition happen and, and you kind of broke into this inbound marketing agency world? Yeah, again, another accident of history, I guess. I was um, speaking at a an ad agency conference in New York City that Mirren puts on. It's a yearly conference of 
about 350, 400 agencies. And uh, Pete Caputo was in the audience. And uh, afterward, and I didn't know him and didn't know he was in the audience, but after my talk, I was just sort of uh, decompressing in the speaker's room. And Pete was there because he'd also spoken at the event. And he introduced himself to him and he said, hey, this is really interesting. I think our agencies would be fascinated to learn some of the business principles that you talked about in your in your presentation. And he asked if I would be interested in speaking at Inbound that year, which is quite a while ago. And he introduced me to Patrick Hopkins. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, Patrick. And, um, and then... He had me speak, and since then I've spoken at each inbound and then some other agency events as well. That's crazy. Just little conversations trigger the whole thing. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So now, um, when you are like when you're beginning to work with a new client, um, what are some of the common? And we can keep it on the HubSpot um, partner agency, uh, or if you see them even beyond that, that'd be interesting to hear as well. But when you first start working with a client, what are the areas where you like to focus and hone in on first just to kind of determine the health of an agency? Oh, uh, yeah, it's a good question. By the way, let me correct myself. I was thinking of a client when I said Patrick Hopkins is Patrick Shea. So to answer your question, um, I first they have to be interested in working with me, and most agencies are not. Um it, you know, there are things that there are challenges for them, but they're so I, I have to know that they're not just in love with the idea of change, but with actual actual change itself. There has to be something that's not working for them. And when I get into a firm that's a HubSpot type firm or doing inbound, it doesn't have to be using HubSpot, but there are some typical patterns, and I've now worked with 39 agencies that are HubSpot partners, so have, it's a pretty large sample size. They they often are discovering that it's not as easy as they thought it was, not just for their clients. So they're making these promises to clients, and the clients are discovering it's not as easy as it, they thought it was. But the agencies are discovering it's not quite as easy. It's not just pressing a button and making things happen. The other issue that seems to come up a lot is that they, they're they having trouble attracting sophisticated clients who are capable of spending enough every month on a retainer basis to really make this work. They also are – they're a different kind of entrepreneur. You know, Maybe there will be time to talk about that. They're not the typical type of entrepreneur with that killer instinct. They've also often – overhired people. So they have this staff sitting there primed, ready to go, but not enough work for them to do. And so the financial performance issues have often squeezed them a little bit. Okay. So, I mean, you just laid out a ton there. Let's start at the beginning, the, the buy-in and, and really wanting to work with you as you're working with an agency in your sales process, how do you go about determining kind of that drive on their side of the table to figure out if it's, if it's going to be a good fit? <clears throat> yeah. So if they, they, it doesn't matter to me how big they are. I don't see any connection there. Um, they can be just as capable a firm at three people as, as 200 people. Um, and even where they are from a financial performance standpoint, doesn't matter. What I want to know in particular are, are they open to being focused? So like in the early days, if you were one of the first certified partners out there for HubSpot, you, you had 
a marketplace locked up in a sense because there weren't that many of you out there. But now there are thousands and thousands. And so being a HubSpot certified agency, just it's no longer a focus. It's just simply a category. It just tells it's just a starting point And there has to be a lot more there. So like, for instance, if you look at True, uh, T-R-E-W, um, out of Austin, they focus on engineers, for instance, engineering firms. And so there, back to the main point here is that the firm has to be willing to consider narrowing their scope uh, in the marketplace. Okay. Another one is they have to be willing to listen. So this is sort of a secret that probably I shouldn't get out there, but it will obviously. But I, I'll usually find something and uh, how they are describing themselves on the website. And I'll pick on that a little bit to see and it's always a legitimate point, but it may surprise them a little bit because here's a, an advisor that they haven't even hired yet offering some criticism of their firm. And I do it intentionally because I want to know if they're going to be open to feedback from an outside expert. I want wow. relationships that are, you know, so it's not the, my approach to marketing is very much a whack-a-mole approach. So <laughs> somebody expresses an interest in working together, I just whack it on the head. And if it's real, it'll come back. It'll pop back up. So I don't ever do any cold calling. I never never do any outbound. It's all about, really, it's about inbound. But I've been doing inbound before HubSpot was even conceived uh, starting in 1997. But, of course, it wasn't called that. And the tools weren't available at the time. Yeah. So when you think about focus, how do you, if you're working with an agency who doesn't have it yet, but they are open and you whack them all and it comes back, how do you begin the journey of helping them discover or select a focus to move forward with? So we, first I have to help them see why it's important. And, and I'll usually walk them through this very simple exercise of helping them see that positioning is really about control more than anything else, control or choices. So in the best agency relationships with their clients, there's distributed control the degree of control that their client has is very obvious and it's exercised every day uh, in little ways like not getting them things on time or bigger ways like even firing them. What, what control does the agency have in that relationship? And the only control they have is to withhold their expertise. So then you follow that, that rabbit trail and you just pretend hypothetically that you withhold your expertise from your client. The clock starts at that point. And it only stops when the, the agency client finds what they think is a suitable substitute. So the agency has to ask themselves, if I decide to withhold my expertise from a client, how long will it take them to find what they deem is a suitable substitute for me? And that's the degree to which they're well positioned. So because if, they can, if their client can find a substitute quickly, mm-hmm. then then it doesn't hurt when they withhold their expertise and they have no power in the relationship. So that's usually how we start. And then there's like a 22 page handout where we walk through all the science and the art of positioning to come up with something. It's a very painful process though, because you're in essence saying <clears throat> you're saying no to a lot of things and that people find that difficult because their positioning before that usually arises from, just what they enjoy doing or the accident of history, what they have been doing and it hasn't been very intentional. Okay. So you're kind of, you're helping them to discover, you know, what's going to work for them moving forward. When, when a, an agency does come to a consensus around their, or a clear idea, I guess, around their positioning and they want to move forward with that. 
what are kind of those second tier struggles that you see folks going through that are going to, I guess, inhibit them from hitting that goal? Yeah. So, you know, if, if they're, if they don't understand their business financially, then it's possible that, you know, that somebody will kind of rise from the darkness and, and choke them and everything might be great, except they don't have the wherewithal financially to do the right thing. So that's always something we look at um, constantly in the background. But the other is more about the kind of killer instinct that these agencies have. And so, you know, as I answer this question for you, I'm answering it differently than I might typically answer it because I'm finding that um, the agency owners that are all in on inbound are different kinds of entrepreneurs and they, they're they lost a little bit. They are looking for more spoon feeding from the mothership and they are eager, they're smart, but they don't really know what to do. They're, they're more on a train track and they're looking for a specific, uh, I guess, track laid out in front of them and then they'll run on that track but they're they're just not sure what to do in some some cases they're sort of it's almost like they bought a franchise and they need more information about how to make it happen does that make sense yeah i see that um just kind of running a copy of what they've been given it's been presented as the way to do things so that they just want to implement that and think that'll solve all the problems um what's the way around that how to like how does a self-aware inbound agency owner identify that trait in themselves and then begin to, I guess, work against it? Well, I think they'll have to be very more objective and a little bit more daring. And they're, they're going to have to realize, first of all, that we're not going to, the world is not going to suspend the laws of gravity just because you're an inbound firm. So (laughs) you're going to have to like, and I hear this too, even from the podium, it's like, well, you've got, your expectations about profitability shouldn't be quite as high, especially at the beginning. And, and you do need to overstaff and don't worry too much about overservicing. That's bullshit. I, I do not believe that's really the way you need to start that. So understanding that you're not special, you're not unique in that regard. The other is I think you're going to have to chart your own path and you're going to have to make it work. And you're not going to be a cookie cutter HubSpot agency that may being a cookie cutter HubSpot agency might be comforting at the beginning, but you will never thrive. Like I've now worked with 39 HubSpot agencies and there are not many of them that are thriving, thriving as well as a typical agency would. Some of them are doing very well, but most of them are just struggling to find their own way. And I think the solution there is not to give up on finding your own way and just doing inbound all in the way somebody else tells you to do it. I think you've got to use HubSpot as one of many other options you use for clients. And I do not think you ought to tie your future to HubSpot, not because HubSpot isn't a good product, because I think it is. I think the product has caught up to the hype finally, but I don't think you should tie it to HubSpot because I think you need to own your agency. And so I'm envisioning you may maybe not even telling clients that you're a HubSpot certified agency, but simply using that as a tool in the toolbox with other tools that are just as important and charting your own way. Awesome. I love the line. You need to own your own agency. I think that's really important. Um, 
so when you're when you're talking to HubSpot partners and you describe this thriving, uh, you're not thriving like another agency would be. Can you describe some of the KPIs that you would use to define a thriving agency? Sure. So th- there are lots of um, ways we could define that. Um, there's there's actually a free um, calculator tool on my website that helps you a little bit with that. That takes it take answers that question from the the standpoint of utilization, but there's one other one that's actually simpler and that's to look at your fee billings per full-time equivalent employee. So let's say you have 10 employees and you have to add all of them up, not just the billable people. So from whatever the role is, you add them into that pool. Let's say there's 10 of them. And let's say your, your fee billings are 1.2 million, which means that you have 120,000 fee billings per full-time equivalent employee. That is a, that would be a high number for the typical HubSpot agency. It would be a significantly below average number for any other kind of agency. Okay. That's a, that's the simple example. Another example though would be, and it might be hard for me to give you all kinds of specifics off the top of my head, but in terms of what the agency principal is making. So, you know, a five to eight person firm, the principal should be making 170,000 and then there should be another 15 to 30% net profit of which they keep at least half. So those are probably the three metrics that are the best ones to start with your utilization tool on my website um, billings per full-time equivalent employee, and then what the principal is making. Those are the three that are simple that most HubSpot agencies are really missing. Okay. So when you look at it, when you see a agency that finds themselves in this situation, what's the path out of the woods? Kind of what's the, what are the things that you like to address with them first to help them get off of kind of one train track and thinking independently as a business owner? I think positioning has to be first because until we have that answered, then we don't know who our clients are. We don't know where to find them. We don't know what to say to them. We don't even know who to hire and what our service offering should look like. So that's the first one. Um, the second one, after you have that figured out, um, would be to um, understand what the principal's correct role should be. What should they be concentrating on and what should they be giving to other people? Hmm. You know, the, the crazy thing back to that positioning is that in some cases, these agencies aren't able to fulfill the promises they're making to their clients, but but they're not good at doing inbound for themselves. They're just adding to this stream of content that's more content than insight, and they're they're getting lots of web traffic, but they're not converting that web traffic into paying clients. So yeah. And I think it's the positioning that has to be the first thing. Okay. Because when you nail your positioning, how much more focus and how much more valuable can your content be? That seems to just open up a, a whole other world in terms of depth of focus that agencies can tap into. Oh, absolutely. I mean, what you just said right there is that is exactly the key, right? Because how can you possibly write interesting stuff that hasn't already been addressed 10,000 times if you're just writing about marketing, right? Yeah, until, until you have that the, that um, positioning nailed, then your stuff is not going to be all that interesting to the right people. Blair Enns, who is a colleague of mine uh, from Win Without Pitching, he he talks about how you you know as you narrow this positioning, you're essentially becoming less relevant to more and more people. 
And so those people who don't think your content is relevant are just going to unsubscribe or never, never bother with you again. But your true prospects are going to be even more interested in you because now you're writing things that are more relevant to a smaller number of people. So I think what you just said is exactly right. That's fantastic. Um, now, the second thing you addressed was the principal's role in the organization. Can you talk to us a little bit? Because most of the folks listening here are the principals at the agencies. What are some of the red flags that you notice when you come in uh, when the principal's role is perhaps out of balance? Yeah, so there's some quick, pretty quick uh, measures of that. If if they uh, rub shoulders with a client um, by accident, maybe at some social function or something, and the client says, hey, by the way, what's the status of such and such? If the principal knows the answer to that question, then they're way too involved in the delivery of these of these services to the client. So that's one. Another would be if I sat down or anybody sat down with every client and said, who's your primary day-to-day contact? If that person, if, if each of those clients identifies the, the principal over and over again, then they're too involved there as well. Now, obviously, this is more true as the agency grows, but... As you get to the five, six-person firm, you would, you'd be really careful about how those questions are answered. And then the other one that is not so much about the principal's role all the time, but it's this notion of who's setting the prices at the firm. Are the prices being set by the person who is um, managing client relationships? Because if that's the case, they have an incentive to set pricing the client will accept or the prospect will accept sure pricing needs to be set by somebody who's more objective and then that pricing is balanced by the account service person so those are the three um three common mistakes like what the principal knows who the principal is contacting on the client side and who's setting prices those are the places you start typically okay and if you do if you have a principal who has their hand in every hat so to speak how do they begin the process of pulling back and beginning to delegate more to to other folks who haven't been doing the job? Um, and there's also the client relationship aspect there. How do they begin that process of stepping back? So the goal is not to forego any client contact. It's just to have much higher level contact with the client, more a dotted line relationship rather than a, a you know a solid line. So. There is a process of being willing to give up the baton, like in a relay race, and they have to be comfortable doing that, which takes some psychology and some coaching sometimes. But then there also has to be somebody who's willing to take the baton and won't drop it. And sometimes they have the right person on staff, and sometimes they don't. Um, Often in the early days of an inbound agency, there's just sort of this notion of hiring warm bodies who are presentable and who fit the culture and so on. And we're not hiring folks who have a really a strong track record in the agency world. So, and partly because there isn't the money necessarily to hire the higher level folks. So it starts with that really. And there's some psychology involved as well. Okay. Um, so I'm I'm curious now around a young agency that's getting started and finances are a burden for them. Do you ever coach folks through any sort of seed funding or um, you know getting partners in the business who can supply funding if cash flow is a restraint for an agency owner? I do talk with them about that. Uh, the truth is that the investment world 
has no interest in investing in this marketplace and rightfully so because it's just the the return on investment is not there and it's such a personally driven business that they're it's too tied to the principle so you will find some folks who will invest or you might even go to a bank and get a line of credit and so on my own perspective on that is pretty dour in that i'm finding that this what i'm going to say next would be true across the agency world but it's especially true with inbound agencies is that getting outside money is the best way to ignore operational issues mm. should be solved in other ways so you have these plans, they sound good, but there's no money to do them. So the you take the next leap and say, okay, I need to get outside money. Instead of stopping and saying, if this is such a good idea, why don't I have the money to do it? So I, I preach um, being profitable from day one and not – I do not believe that we ought to chase growth. I, I don't think that scale is the solution here. I think the solution is a really well-run business, whether it's four people or 40 people. And in those businesses, you don't need outside money. And so now I do a lot of merger acquisition work. I've led 140 deals over the years, but that's a different story. That's somebody actually buying the shares of a firm. Now, when you talk about not chasing growth, are you talking about optimizing revenue like through upsells on current clients or more – making each client engagement more profitable or both? Uh, both, for sure. I think what you've just said is is exactly true. So I'm not going to chase growth in the sense of body count because when I do that, I'm going to make compromises in pricing. And I'm going to say, well, yeah, we're not going to make quite as much money on this, but it leads to this or it gets this client on our roster or our masthead and so on. So I'm not going to do that, but I am going to I am going to try to be as profitable as I can. I'm going to upsell my clients. So, you know, if I could just add something here, it's it's a big issue in inbound is that most of the time the folks running the client relationships in inbound are not the classical account executive profile. They're more project managers, and those folks have this mentality even though it's just subconscious. They don't come out and say it. But they have this mentality that I'm not going to screw up. I'm not going to lose the account. I'm going to manage them really, really well. As opposed to somebody who has more of an account executive mentality who will upsell the account. So when you have a project manager running a client relationship, which is very common in the inbound world, then you don't discover the problem until about a year and a half in and you look back and you realize, oh my God, we've kept them level, but we've not grown them. And that's yeah. because of the mentality of that project manager. Okay. So do you see that um, that mentality, that project manager, or not the project, but the account management, is that the type of a role that is conducting regular touches with a client? Are they involved in servicing at all, or are they more of like a, um, like I guess a consultative check-in, see how things are going? What does that role look like in a tangible day-to-day -day picture? I think that role you just described is the person who is responsible for the entire relationship. Okay. So so the client is interfacing through them predominantly and the project management person is more in the background in the agency running that side of things. So I think we need two parts. There's there's two pieces of bread for this sandwich and one of the one of them is the account person, one is the project person. And that's I don't know the history of it. Um, why the inbound world has missed that, but they're really trying to reinvent the agency model 
uh, by eliminating the typical account executive person, and they're really hurting because of it. They're for two reasons. One, we talked about the project management mentality doesn't grow an account. The other is that project management folks miss cues in the relationship from a personal standpoint that it's going bad. And when you have a retainer-based relationship, um, the the retainer is a lightning rod. So things are either going really well and the retainer is not a problem. But when they start to veer off course, and this is before the project manager notices it, when they start to go off course in a retainer relationship, they go off course much faster. There's this massive train wreck. And then you just lose the client altogether. They get pissed off. So yeah, lots of reasons why it's not a good idea. Okay. Um, and so uh, one, one more question around pricing. When you're consulting with agencies, do you um, how do you coach them around pricing? Is the retainer model the best way to go? Is shorter term engagements hourly? You know, how do you structure kind of that best case scenario for different agencies around pricing their services? Well, this is that's a very interesting question because before this inbound movement, the trajectory of retainers has been downward for a decade and a half, and nobody is chasing retainers except for PR firms and inbound agencies. Hmm. And the reason inbound agencies are chasing them is because there's all these advisors and and other agencies saying that the secret and HubSpot themselves the secret is is these this repeatable income this agency relationship that's built on a retainer. The truth is that clients are not that excited about it. And so maybe you have a minimum monthly fee that stays stable every month. And then the total revenue from that client bounces up and down and it's more difficult to plan for, but it's more of a client centric approach. Um, We as you know, age, Inbound agencies love retainers because it's easier to plan and because it's viewed as sort of an annuity. But clients, the only the most sophisticated clients can handle a, a, a retainer relationship. So I think now I don't I hate hourly pricing. I don't like retainer relationships. I would much rather you say, all right, this is a three-year program. And when I look at what needs to be done, there's going to be a minimum monthly fee, and then it's going to spike up and down based on what you need, what your marketplace demands, and then then it's going to stop or you can decide whether you want to keep it going. But I, I do think there's a lot to look at, a lot to think about in this pricing stuff. Oh, that's awesome. Um, well, you have shared so much. I really appreciate you just kind of being honest and sharing your outside perspective on this community. I think that's really cool. Um, if you've kind of convicted any owners here that, that want to make a change, um, where should they go to learn more about um, kind of your method and your teachings? Sure. So most of it is free. I, I think of myself more as a researcher and educator. There are 26,000 agencies that subscribe to my blog. So that'd be the easiest way. And it's free. It's a weekly notice. You can go to recourses.com, R-E-C-O-U-R-S-E-S. There are also about 400 uh, insight pieces. I call them position papers. Um, there are a lot of free webinars as well. And then there's some paid options. There's a, a book on financial management, a book on managing people. And I do seminars and I also do consulting. But in my typical whack-a-mole approach, nobody should hire me right away. They should wade in and start reading some of the free stuff first. David, that is fantastic. Thank you so much for your time and just sharing all this insight. We really appreciate it. 
Thank you, Andrew. Appreciate it. Nice to speak with you. Thank you for listening to Inbound Agency Journey. You can find the show's notes for today's episode at doinbound.com slash podcast. Again, that's doinbound, all one word, dot com forward slash podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, head over to iTunes to subscribe or leave us a review of the show. Until next time, remember, life is a journey. Keep moving forward. <laughs>